Okay, so before we begin, I would just like to state for the record that today is August 13th, 2021, and my name is Ben Bauman, and I'm here in Indianapolis, Indiana, and I'm speaking via phone with John Day, who is also in Indianapolis, Indiana. Is that correct? Yes. All right, and we are doing an interview for the Indiana Legislative Oral History Initiative. So just starting off, when and where were you born? Uh, Indianapolis, Indiana, 1937. Okay. And uh, what were your parents' names? John, I'm sorry, uh, Don and Mary Day. Okay. Um, where was your family from before Indiana? Uh, my grandparents are from Ireland, and my uh, on my mother's side and on my father's side, they're from Indiana. Okay. Uh, what were your parents' occupations? Uh, my mother worked for Lilius. I'm not sure what she did there. I was just a little kid, and I didn't know much about it. And my father was a factory worker. Oh, okay. Did you have any siblings growing up? Yes, I'm the oldest of six. I have three brothers and two sisters. Okay, wow. All right. Uh, How would you describe your childhood? I think it was happy. I I played sports. Uh, I was active at school. And I seemed to get along once. Once I had yellow jaundice, and I was had to stay home for a month, and the whole class came to visit me. It was great. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, cool. I a lot of candy bars. It was a great day. <laughs> that works, yeah. Um, who would you say... Almost cured me that day. <laughs> yeah. No, definitely, definitely. Um, who would you say were the most influential people in your childhood? Um... Uh, Gosh, I think a lot of people, my teachers and my parents, especially my grandmother, she lived with us, and she was very good to me. And uh, I, I, uh, I was named after her husband, uh, who came to America in 1916 from Ireland. Oh. So we had a very close relationship. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. Um, what understanding, if any, did you have about your, your family's political views as a child? Uh, they weren't very active. Okay. Uh, like uh, most people, they they voted, but they didn't go out to rallies, and they didn't get active in the party. They were just sort of average citizens. They voted, but but they weren't active in in party politics at all. Yeah. Okay. Um, what schools did you attend as a child and teenager? I went to Holy Cross Grade School, which is on the Near East Side. It's about four blocks from Tech High School, and I went to Cathedral High School. Okay. How would you describe your educational experiences? I was kind of a shy kid, but I got along with people, and I did okay. I was an average student. Did you have any... I did uh, better in college than I did in high school. Oh, okay. I did college much more serious than I did high school. Yeah, okay. Did you have any favorite subjects in school? Uh, I liked uh, sociology and government. Those were probably my two favorites. Cool, okay. Were you involved you in... You tell where I was going with that government stuff. Yes, that is true. That is true, yeah. <laughs> were you involved in any clubs or sports teams or anything like that? Uh, no, I played in a church basketball league four years of high school. Oh, okay. That's about it. All right. I worked at the grocery store my last two years of high school. Yeah, okay. Part-time, maybe two or three nights a week. 
As a child, uh, what views did you have about the state of Indiana? Not much. I just wanted to play with my friends. I didn't. I didn't care much about the big picture. Okay. <laughs> where uh, Where did you end up going to college? Oh, here in Indianapolis at Marion University. It was called. It was Marion College then. Now it's of course a university. Then I went to graduate school at IU in Bloomington. Okay. And uh, what did you major in in college? Political science. Okay. And uh, what was your degree in grad school? I'm sorry, in undergraduate school, it was history and sociology. In grad school, it was political science. Okay, got it. And uh, what did you hope to do after graduating? Uh, Teach. All right. Were you involved in any clubs or organizations in college? Uh, Yeah, there was kind of a social justice club at Marion, and I was kind of involved in that. Okay, cool. Um, so how did you view your college experiences? Very favorable. Yeah, I could do a commercial farm. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's usually a good sign, yeah. Um, in, in what ways did your awareness of politics change as you went through college? Uh, it was during the Kennedy years, and like a lot of young people, I was very, became very interested in politics and what Kennedy was doing. Some of my friends joined the Peace Corps, others joined VISTA, and so it was kind of an, an activist age. It was pe- people were sort of encouraged to be in politics, and I was part of that too. Yeah, that's cool, all right. Um, so what was your first job out of college? I taught at Ron Kelly High School. Okay, and was that what she, exactly what you wanted to do, was to teach in high school? Yes. All right, cool. And uh, when, if at all, did you get married? Uh, it was late. I was 39 years old when I got married. Okay. But it worked out fine. We've been married 44 years. <laughs> oh, yeah, sounds like it. Yeah, that's good. Did you have any... It was worth the wait. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Did you have any children? Yes, we have four adult daughters. All right. And how did your family influence your career? Uh, they were very supportive, uh, and they tried to help me whenever they could, like with mailing and things. Yeah. All right. Some sometimes they worked at the polls, passing out literature, things like that. How did you uh, first become more seriously involved in politics? Uh, I first ran in 68, and and at that time in Marion County, we didn't have districts. It was countywide at large. And so uh, if if the national ticket did well in Marion County, then that party usually won the, the House and Senate seats in the legislature. So I lost the first couple of times, and then we had modified districts in 74, three-member districts, single-member districts in 91. But in 74, 74 we had three-member districts here in Marion County, and I won that year in 74, again in 76, and 78, and 80. Okay. So on, up, to, up to 2010. Right. 2012, I'm sorry. My last election was 2010, then I retired in 2012. I served 36 years. I lost one year in 94, then I came back in 96. Yeah. 18 terms. 
Yeah, that's cool. That's that's pretty impressive. Thank you. Uh, what would you say shaped your political outlook? Uh, I think uh, I, I'm sort of a social justice Democrat, you might say. Uh, the, the things like Roosevelt and Kennedy and the Great Society, President Johnson, and then uh, on up to uh, uh, Barack Obama. Uh, I was kind of a mainline Democrat, you'd say, uh, active in, active in social, uh, uh, sponsored bills in the area of social welfare, child welfare, uh, civil liberties, those kind of things. Yeah, okay. Uh, and uh, let's see... So, when did you first decide to run for state government? In 68. 68, okay. And did your campaign emphasize any particular issue, or...? No, not too much. It was just getting to know people and, and getting getting involved in the party. Yeah. In those days, the precinct workers were much more influential than they are today. We're kind of a skeleton of what we used to be. But in those days, the ward chairman, if they liked you, they, they really helped you in their ward. Yeah, okay. So I just sort of got involved in getting to know the precinct and the ward leaders, and that seemed to go very well. And they were very helpful when I first ran. Yeah. Then later, after I got more established, I was more on my own. Interesting, okay. Who was your main opponent for your first election? I don't even remember. Don't remember? <laughs> You've had so many, I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'd be honest, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. um, let's see. What would you say was most important to you as a candidate? Um, to represent the community and the party well, as well as good as I could. Yeah, okay. So, how did you feel the first day that you were officially officially elected? Oh, it was very exciting. And I couldn't wait to get to the state house. Yeah, yeah, I bet. In fact, after I got sworn in, I waited about ten minutes to file the landlord tenant bill. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's cool. Okay. We got sworn in, you know, in November. It's called like an organization day, you know. We, we get sworn in and get our committee assignments and so on. And I waited about 10 minutes to file my first bill. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yeah, you were, you were ready for business, <laughs> I guess. There you go. Yeah. And um, how did your feelings change with each election? Did you, like, were you just as excited as the first time when you got reelected, or? I was excited, but a lot more realistic. Yeah. For example, if you're in the minority, you're, it's a hard, it's very difficult to get your bills through. You can do it, but it's very difficult. When you're in the majority, you have committees on your side that favorably hear, have favorable hearings for your bills if your party is the majority party. And so I had to learn to work in a bipartisan way, and I did. Uh, some of my major bills had Republican co-sponsors, for which I was very thankful. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it makes sense. That's sad to say it's not so true today, and I, I think that's regrettable, both for the candidates, I'm sorry, for the office holders, and for the public good. Yeah, yeah. 
Did your campaign strategies change over the course of your political career? Not a lot. I locked on out of doors. I, 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 did, I went, lots, went to a lot of neighborhood meetings, and that never changed because it was effective. And that's how you learned about what's going on in the district. Yeah, okay. And uh, what were you thinking when you walked into the State House for your first day in office? Uh, gosh, I, I didn't think much about that. I, I was anxious to get started. Yeah. I was looking forward to it a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. Sort of like a new kid, you know, and like, like making the baseball team or the basketball team, and you're anxious for the first game to get started. Yeah, sure. Um, what were your expectations for the legislative process, and was it more or less what you expected? I didn't have any, I didn't have many expectations because I didn't know. Okay. That was so new, so I didn't I didn't have any preconceived notions like we're going to get this done in ten days, we're going to do so and so, or yeah. we're going to have the such and such budget done by the first of March. I was so new, I didn't really have any expectations. Yeah, that makes sense. So how did you learn the ins and outs of state politics? Uh, talking to older members uh, and, and just trying to keep your eyes and ears open and talk to people that you respected. So did you have any political mentors in the Indiana General Assembly? Oh, yeah, a couple. of a fellow named Dick Doyle of South Bend who since died, a great guy. He had cancer. He, he, we sat a couple of seats apart, and we, he really helped me out a lot. And others helped out too, but one of the first ones was Dick Doyle of South Bend. Yeah. He's a great guy. Okay. How did you know the needs and wants of your constituents? Uh, like I said, going to neighborhood meetings and knocking, going door to door. And then uh, we we used to, when I, after I was first elected we used to do surveys before the session started we made out these surveys and do eight or ten things and say what do the people think about these issues if they were important we should pursue or you know what would they we gave them a chance to write in what they thought we should do too so we try to keep in contact by mail and by neighborhood meetings things like that yeah okay can you describe the what the regular interactions were like between members of the General Assembly? I think mostly respectful and cooperative. There are always a few hot dogs, you know, but <laughs> they don't get much done. Sure. Uh, people that are serious and respectful and have a team attitude, they get more done. Right, right. What were the interactions like between Democrats and Republicans? Uh, we had our differences, especially on the budget. Uh, that was always a big fight. Uh, but on some things, like, you know, if, if you're a city guy, like I am, you tend to talk to people from Gary and South Bend and Evansville and Fort Wayne and sort of have some common interest that way. And if you're a country boy, it's the same thing with finding other country boys and country girls yeah. uh, and work with people that, that have similar interests. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. What were the differences between the House and the Senate? Uh, we used to joke. We should, we should make fun of the Senate. We'd call them the House of Lords. <laughs> we thought they were a bunch of stuff shirts. 
that's not true. That's not fair. <laughs> but that was kind of our common attitude for a while. Yeah, that is funny. Yeah, I, I've heard that a lot of former members of the House and Senate kind of, yeah, joking about each other a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But again, we, we worked together, like on my landlord-tenant bill. I had a guy in Bloomington who worked, who was my sponsor over there because he had a lot of tenant issues in his district, as, as did I in my district. So we, we find out common interests and work together. Yeah. How complex was it to uh, get a bill passed? So I guess there's a lot of different sort of strategies at play to try and get a bill passed. and Yes, and it has a lot to do with personal relationships. Yeah. I, I think you have to earn trust, and I think that's important, and not, not to brag, but I think I had a lot of trust. I mean, I, I think I was believed, and, and I got along with people very well. Yeah, sure. For example, I sponsored the school breakfast bill, and I had a Republican... Woman teacher from a rural district was my co-sponsor because we both had interest in children and, and, and having good nutrition at school. Yeah. So did you get support from Bills by just identifying other members that would kind of want to get this type of legislation passed? and? Yeah. So a lot of recruitment, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Sometimes we just have to ask people, and other times they would just volunteer and say, we're interested in that issue, we want to help you. So that was really always music to my ears. Yeah. Oh, of course, I bet. That makes things a lot like easier. teacher up north. She lived near Huntington, and she was a grade school teacher. And she said, I'll be glad to help you with that bill. We, she said we ought to have that. We should have had it years ago. Yeah. And it passed. <laughs> that was one of my best days. It passed in 93. Very exciting day. Yeah. Evan Bly signed it. The day he got the bill a couple of days and he signed it right away. Wow. How was legislative business conducted outside of formal votes and committee meetings? Oh, having lunch with people, maybe. Uh, uh, again, signing areas of common interest. Yeah. And then you, you sort of got to know who you could work with. Uh, there was a Republican lawyer from Brazil, a guy named John Thomas, who was a very low-key guy, but very bright and very fair-minded. He and I worked on several bills together because I really liked the guy. Yeah. And he was very good to me. And uh, uh, if he said something, you could count on it. Okay, cool, yeah. So, did you have a sense of how people would vote prior to them actually voting? Uh, yeah, there's some, and it's not that, how should I say it, not that sophisticated, but some, some especially some of the older members of the caucus, they were very loyal to the party. So, if you're a Democrat, I'm sorry, 
much about it, but if it's important for your district and you're a fellow Democrat, I'm probably going to vote with you. Yeah. There was a lot of that. I don't know if that's still true today, but that was true when I was there. Okay. And some things the party took position on that they said, this is really important. We want you to be with us. We want you to vote for this. And they would say to us, if you have objections, let us know. We'll try to work with you. If you can't vote for us, tell us in advance because we want to know how many votes we got. Yeah, okay. So is party leadership pretty influential then? Uh, yes. Uh, at some time I went against the party leadership. Not very often, but once in a while I did. But generally, I probably I was with them nine out of ten times. Okay. How did they react when you went against party leadership? They didn't like it, but they knew there was another day we had to work together, so they got over it quick. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think people that are smart realize that. Yeah. The one bill is not the end of the world. Yeah. Okay. So there's the next day, there's the next week, there's the next month, there's the next election, there's the next session, and you got to work together. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That's so, kind of how I took it, and that's how most people I like took it. Yeah, I can't, in both parties. Yeah, so can't really hold grudges against people for voting differently. Yeah. Counterproductive. Yeah. Uh, what would you say the public does not know about the Indiana General Assembly and how it operates? Gosh, I think a lot of people. Well, I, I don't know. I don't think the media does a good enough job of explaining it. Uh, and, and I, I think the people is not the public's not as informed as they ought to be. And maybe maybe the members could have done a better job too of explaining things, but I think there's some sort of oh, uncertainty or fuzziness about it all. Yeah. Okay. Um, how did your legislative service affect your family life? Uh, twisted strings on things that we had nice sessions several times. And I'd miss supper. Of course, I'm lucky I lived here in Indianapolis and I could be home in 10 minutes. But it, it, it took away from family life sometimes. You, you missed some birthday parties and other things, and I didn't like that. I felt bad about that. And I tried to make it up to them. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a, a time question, how to, how to watch your time. But sure. They were very good about it, and, and, and they didn't complain. I mean, my kids... And my wife was very good, very supportive. Yeah, okay. And I, I would think it'd be terrible if you were in a situation where your family didn't support you, or your wife said, you got to go down there again? <laughs> that, that wouldn't go very far. But my wife was very supportive, and she's uh, been active in her own career, and I've been very, tried to be very supportive to her. Yeah. I imagine that uh, it's pretty important that if someone decides to run for state government that they have their family on board with their, with their plan, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll never know, but I bet there's some divorces because of that, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I've, I've heard about that. I have that. no way to, to, to give any statistics on that, but I'm sure, or I feel pretty certain that was the case. Yeah, no, there's got to be at least a few, that's for sure, yeah. Um, what would you say was the most controversial legislative issue during your time at the General Assembly? Uh, 
I think abortion was probably the most controversial. Okay. And was this throughout your entire time in the General Assembly? Pardon? I, I didn't hear you. What, was abortion an issue throughout your entire uh, time in the no, General I'd Assembly? No, i probably for probably eight or six years. Okay. Uh, what time frame was it an issue? Do you remember? Oh, gosh. Like the... Uh, I'd say the 80s and 90s. Okay. And, of course, the budget was always controversial. Yeah, the yeah budgets... And, and, yeah. and to raise taxes controversial. Yeah. I sponsored a cigarette tax once to pay for child, child care and, and public health programs. And that... that, that uh, Seems to be controversial, but I try to to uh, explain it by what you're getting for this. You're getting a lot of really good things: people with health care and children to go someplace after school for after school child care. Yeah. So I didn't mind uh, cigarette tax at all. I didn't, it didn't bother me a bit. Of course, the tobacco lobbyists were mad at me, but they got over it. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. It certainly will make lobbyists happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> And so, when it, I think taxes is always controversial. Yeah. And of course, abortion was as, as a uh, was always was controversial, and always you get a lot of mail about those things, a lot of phone calls, and a lot of lobbying. So, were the abortion debates during your time similar to the abortion debates that go on today in modern politics? Gosh, I, I think there was more explanation in the old days. Okay. Do you remember a particular piece of legislation that sort of took the most time to get done or to work on? The landlord-tenant bill. Oh, okay. Was, let me explain to you a little bit. There's a thing called Uniform Model X, and this group in Washington, I think, writes bills and send them to the, all the 50 states and say, here's a model if you want to try this for the issue you're working on. And they did a reform bill on landlord-tenant uh, reform and, and spelling out duties of the landlords and the tenants and this was a big bill like 30 pages and uh, some people would say to me John we like some parts of your bill but we can't buy section so and so or we can't take the last chapter and so I was stubborn and I kept the 30 page bill together for several years and it would pass one house and fail on the other uh, some years we wouldn't get a hearing if the Republicans had charge. Then uh, one year it tied in the Senate, 25 to 25. I'll never forget that. I was so disappointed. I thought for sure we had it that year. <laughs> yeah. Tied 25 to 25. So finally, uh, after about 10 years, I divided it up into three bill, three different bills. One was the, the security deposit. You get your money back after 30 days. And sitting in forward address and no damages to the building, you get your money back for deposit. So that bill passed first. Then I had an, a, a second part of the, that original bill was no retaliatory evictions for a tenant complaining to the Board of Health about the building. And that passed pretty quick. And that passed a few more years later. And then the, the last part about habitability, that your place has got to be habitable and meet certain standards. That passed in 2002. And so that so I broke a big 30-page bill into three smaller bills, and they passed over about a 15-year period. Wow. Okay. Jeez. And the landlords were always on me. They they just they <laughs> gave me the blues. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, once in a while we'd get along okay, but usually it was, uh, not that John Day again. <laughs> so you caused them a lot of trouble, I guess. Yeah. I see the same thing back to them. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Sometimes yes, sometimes I'm it. Yeah. What would you say was your proudest moment as a legislator? Uh, probably the landlord-tenant bill and the school breakfast that said 40,000 children. Yeah. So those two, there's several, there's other, there's, there are probably seven rape bills I really was proud of, but those two are probably my favorites. Yeah, so... They, they, were, they were the most needed. Yeah. So, could you explain the nutrition in schools and stuff and what was going on? Yeah, after World War II, you know, we got school lunch program was, uh, in the late 40s, and then they later added school breakfast. The school breakfast wasn't required, uh, I mean, but schools were required to have school lunch. And then uh, school breakfast came as an option, and so a number of states passed it, but Indiana did not. And so uh, we had a school lunch program, of course, which was fine. But no, some schools on their own did school breakfast, but over half of them did not. So if a kid had parents that worked, a single parent that worked and went to work early in the morning, kid was on his own or her own to have breakfast. And uh, there are all these studies show that kids do better if they have school, if they have breakfast. They they do better on tests. They have less absences. They do better in school. They're happier children. And so uh, I introduced the school breakfast, and of course, the first year didn't pass. Then I had a woman named Lena Hackett, who was a nutritionist, and she was very interested in this, and she said she'd help me all she could. And she did great research, wrote letters to, to the Public Health Committee, uh, wrote letters to all the leadership people. And then I, like I said, that my friend, that teacher up in Huntington, Indiana area, the Republican grade school teacher, she became a co-sponsor, and it passed in 93. Wow, okay, yeah, that's impressive. And so that meant all, the, all the, every school in Indiana, where 25% or more of the kids were eligible for school, I'm sorry, every school with 25% or more kids below the poverty level, that school ha had to have a school breakfast program. Yeah, yeah, okay. And that was about 40,000 more children that got the school breakfast program. Right. So that, I was really happy about that. I was, I was, I was astounded. And, and a good thing it passed, uh, I don't know if you're a Christian or not, but on Holy Thursday night, school breakfast passed the night of the Last Supper. Oh, wow, okay. Thought, what a coincidence. Yeah, that I is. Was, I was floored by that. That is, that is wild, okay, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. It was a night session, and I'd gone to church for mass about 6.30 that evening, came back to the state house to vote on bills about 7.30, and about 10 o'clock that night it passed. Oh, my gosh. i never forget it. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty memorable. Wow. Um, what would you say was the biggest hurdle that you had to overcome during your time in office? Um... Uh, I think not a hurdle, but just trying to get support for my bills. Okay, yeah. Most people were very civil. I think we got along well. Uh, 
people go to lunch together with either party. I don't think they have that so much of that today, but we had lunch often with people of the other party. Yeah. Yeah. It was no big deal. People got along, and they, 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 we learned to be able to disagree but not be disagreeable. Right, right. And then there's a lot of common interests. For example, if you went to IU, uh, there's a common interest in the, in the basketball team. You talk about that, and then about your bill a little later. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. There are a lot of people there at the state house. Uh, I don't know what it is now, but probably a fourth of the members were IU graduates. Okay. What, in your opinion, is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? I think to learn and to act on the needs of the people of the state. Yeah, okay. That makes total sense. Um, let's see. And then I always wanted to be, uh, how should I say this without bragging, I, I always wanted to make my family proud of me and my party proud of me and do a good job. Yeah, yeah. That's good. So... Turning towards some specific legislative issues, uh, I was doing some research on your time in the General Assembly and saw just some things that had occurred while you were serving. Do you remember much about the debate over the Equal Rights Amendment? Yeah, yeah, I, I voted for that. I, I was, uh, 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 I, I think, how should I say this? It was kind of a cultural thing. You know, the one slice in the home, yeah. all that best you've heard around. 50 years ago, and uh, before I ever got there, but uh, I think it was, and, and there was some church, conservative churches were opposed to it, uh, but I was very much for it. I, I, uh, I grew up with two intelligent, bright sisters, and, and uh, I have four daughters, and so I'm, 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 favorable, I'm favorable to begin with, you know? Yeah. I, I, I didn't need much persuading. But uh, uh, but some people just thought it was a religious thing, and, and they and that would ruin the home, etc. Phyllis Shafley and that bunch. Yeah. Uh, but I I was never bothered by it. I was far from day one. I was proud to vote for it. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so I guess it, so it sounds like that uh, uh, a lot of the debate was just over kind of this traditional. Uh, yeah. view of life versus people just trying yeah. to make it a little bit more yeah. fair for everyone. Yeah. And the, and the question about the role of women, what should be their role? Yeah. Could they be, be both a mother and work outside in an office? Right. Does one suffer because you do both? All those kind of things. Uh, and of course, for not, Women who are widows, they didn't have any choice. They had to work. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Um, another thing, uh, I saw that you had some interest in getting legislation passed that would kind of prevent former legislators from getting involved in lobbying, like right after they yeah. left office. Yeah, the revolving door rule. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that never passed, but I, I think it's a good idea. 
uh, I think there's a rule like that in the Congress. You have to wait a couple of years before you come back. Yeah. As a lobbyist. I thought it gave the the, 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 the person they lobbied for a big advantage, and I, I didn't think that was in the public interest. Yeah. yeah I guess it, it raises some ethics questions. Yes, yes, yes. In fact, a quick footnote on that. Uh, when I was working for the, uh, trying to get my landlord tenant bill through, there was a guy from Richmond, I won't say his name because he's not here to defend himself, but there's a lawyer from Richmond, Indiana, and he was on the Judiciary Committee, and and he uh, was kind of doubtful on the landlord tenant bill. Then he left the state house and became a lobbyist for the landlords. Oh, wow. And he did all he could to try to beat the bill. Yeah. And then I thought, good God. <laughs> but it passed anyhow a couple of years later, so the hell with him. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's... But a... now, I, he, 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 like, he left the state house in May of one year and was back that November as a lobbyist. Oh, my I thought, God. Wait, wait a minute. Yeah, that's crazy. Isn't that right? Yeah. But it, it, it was legal in those days, and I, I don't know what the rule is now. If there's a rule you have to set out a year or not, I don't know what the rule is. Yeah. So, how influential were lobbyists when you served? Oh, they were influential. Especially the, the big hitters, you know. The, uh, uh, well, the, the business associations, uh, chamber of commerce, those kind of people. Yeah. Uh, I, I always work on, on minimum wage bill too, and 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 the, and the and the companies are always had their lobbyists lobby against that. And I thought, how can you be just giving someone a half a dollar an hour raise? What's wrong with you? And uh, so, I, yeah, I, to my mind, it was pretty clear. But for them, it was they might have a less profit margin. I don't know. I shouldn't be too harsh on them because they're good people too. But I just didn't understand what their opposition was. Yeah. And I, I worked on that. In fact, uh, the last bill that passed, I think it was 2008, the good news now is, of course, we haven't raised it for 12 years, both at the state or federal level, but the good news is now is if the, fed, if the federal level goes up, Indiana's automatically goes up to, to be the same amount. Yeah. And that's really good. Yeah, we had okay. a lot of battles over minimum wage, and, and I worked on a couple of bills that passed that raised it during the 70s and 80s. But now the good news is if the federal passes it and it goes up, the state goes up automatically. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Um, how much was money involved in politics when you served? Uh, well, I think a lot. Sure help you get elected. I never had much money. I never needed too much money. I just, I, I was in a Democratic district, and so if you won the primary, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah. Uh, but the year after I lost, the, the state Democratic Party and the Democratic Caucus helped me raise money because they didn't want me to lose again. Yeah. So that year I raised about $50,000, which is twice as much as I ever raised in my life. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's just... But people have now spent a lot of money, but I didn't spend much money at all. The first year I got elected, I spent $400. Yeah. Wow. Do you believe that? $400. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
big difference from today. Yeah, I'm not telling that today. Yeah. They think I'm not telling the truth. They say, come on, John, tell the truth. Yeah. How much did you spend? That's right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty wild how much uh, the amount people are spending has grown. It's, uh... oh, oh, yeah. And, and the sad part is it keeps some good people from running. Yeah. Yeah, well, I imagine there's a lot of people that would be turned off by the idea of having to spend lots of their own money to get elected for state government. So, yeah, that's a yeah. that's a big investment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, did you? Well, I think we ought to have uh, campaign finance laws. I think that that would make an even playing field. But I don't think not in Indiana that's not going to happen. But yeah. I think in some states it may happen. Yeah. I suppose, so why do you think it's, it, it would be so complicated to get something like that done? Is it, is it largely because if, if one party kind of controls uh, the government, then it's very hard for them to kind of, it'd be basically giving up power to allow for uh, something like that? I think that's like that. part of it, yeah. Yeah, that, that's part of it. And I think it's a philosophical thing. Uh, people say they shouldn't be paying politicians of campaign money uh, try, it should be that they have to rate it themselves. But mm. it's, it's a philosophical thing. A lot of these things are philosophical differences. And yeah. Almost no matter what you say, you're going to have a hard time convincing them otherwise. Yeah. And I respect that. They're entitled to their view. Right. I don't agree with them, but they're 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 entitled to their their view. Sure. Did you? Ever uh, oversee any redistricting when you were in the General Assembly? No, I was never on the committee that did the redistricting. But what what would happen when the Democrats had charge? The people doing the maps would call us in and say, "Here's what we think would be a good district for you. What do you think? Do you want us to make any changes? Are you are you happy with it?" Uh, once I made a slight change to get the area around St. Mary's Church downtown on Vermont Street in New Jersey. That was an area where I had a paper out when I was a kid, and I wanted that, that neighborhood in the district, and they put it in for me. <laughs> kind of an innocent request. Yeah. But, but generally, they, they would say, they'd say, this is what we think would be helpful, and we want to get your opinion, too. So they'd ask our, they'd try to get our approval for what they did before they put it on the floor to vote, vote on it, which is nice. Do you that's when we're in the majority, but we're in the minority. <laughs> yeah. Don't bother us. We'll tell you what your district is next week. Okay. So so it really is pretty one-sided, then, if if there's a, not an equal amount of power in, in, a, in the General Assembly. Yeah. Yeah, I think what, what several states do now, and I wish we do it here in Indiana, have a have a, a, a nonpartisan commission to draw the maps. Yeah, and that, that's that's probably the best because it's hard to ask someone to give up some of their own power. Uh, right. I mean, it's just it's too tempting. You want to help your friends in the same and your party. I mean, it's natural. So why not take it out of the, their hands and put it in, in an independent commission? Like say four Democrats and four Republicans, and draw the the, the map, and then then the way would to do it is uh, then have the General Assembly vote on that map, uh, and if they didn't if they didn't approve it, then they have to go back and draw another map. But at least you'd have an independent group drawing the map. Yeah, yeah. No. I think that's the best system. We never had that here, but I I wish we did. 
I think about 10 or 15 states do it that way now. That would, yeah, probably make more sense and, and be more fair. Um, <laughs> yeah, much, much more fair. Yeah. And I think, it'd give us much, I think it'd give us more credibility with the public. Yeah, probably, yes. I mean, yeah, it seems, seems like gerrymandering is one of the things that is kind of universally upsets people from all parts of the political spectrum. So. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. Um, but, uh, yeah, interesting. Okay. Um, let's see. I saw that in the nineties, it appears that you were interested in some like gun re- regulations. Uh, yeah. You have to store the guns in the house. There were a couple of ki- kids killed in an accident. A three-year-old boy was killed. Uh, his, his parents, someone left a gun out and the kids got it and this kid was killed. And there, there are some states now that have a law that you have to have guns stored and out of the out of the sight and control of children. That's what I wanted to do, and it didn't pass. It had a hearing, and in fact, the hearing passed. I mean, it was approved in a, in a committee hearing, but I don't, I, as I remember, it didn't it didn't get a majority vote in the House, but it passed the committee one year. Yeah. Okay. So I I guess uh, legislators in opposition to it just thought that this would um, be a part of a process to uh, sort of government overreach or something like that when it came to guns? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, big brother. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. But we have speed limit laws too, and that's not big brother. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's, again, as you can see with all these questions we discussed, it's a philosophical thing. Right, yeah. Yes, certain things people are more freaked out about than others, yeah. Yeah. Um, what about, oh, see, I saw another thing that you were interested in extending voting hours. Yes, yes. We're one of the worst in the country. Kentucky and Indiana close at 6 p.m. No other state does it. Yeah. So I wanted to, I think Ohio is 8 o'clock at night. Uh, in New York it's 9 o'clock. Uh, so I wanted to make our our uh, our hours um, uh, uh, longer. I think from, I wanted to have it from six to eight p.m. And uh, I had a really good co-sponsor, Republican guy named Ralph Ayers, who's a teacher from the Valparaiso area. Really a good guy, uh, and he was my co-sponsor. And but we couldn't get it through. Okay, and what were people saying in opposition to that bill? Both party state chairmen were against it. Why? God knows. Okay. Wow, that's interesting. So from both parties. Wow. Yep. And I, I, I thought to my mind, this is supposed to be a democracy. We're supposed to encourage people to vote. Yeah. What is this? Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess that is and interesting. A lot of people, you know, they couldn't they get off of work at 5 o'clock. And if you got 5 o'clock traffic, how are you going to get to your home polling place? Yeah. Yeah. I like. What great thing has happened since I've been out is this early voting. I think that's terrific. Yeah. God, that's a good idea. Right. Something like 20% of the voters in the country, I'm sorry, 20% of the vote last election was early voting. Yeah. That's great. Anything we can do to encourage voting and make it easier, we ought to do it. Yeah, that that would make sense. Yeah, especially in democracies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what team are you on, Parker? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I also imagine it is kind of 
interesting to see some opposition to that, to to extending voting hours, especially because um, historically Indiana has not had the highest turnout rates. So right, um, right. Now, in fairness to the opposition, I, I think it's a mechanics kind of attitude. Several people who didn't want, who were against the bill said we can't. We and and they have a good point. They said we have a hard time getting people to work at the polls now, and if you make it longer, it's going to be even harder. Mm, okay. Now that's a good point. And my answer back was have two shifts. Yeah. Six to noon, noon to eight. Right. Try to find things to make people want to work at the polls, and uh... yeah, and and I also talked about recruiting at colleges. Let them work a day at the polls and see what government's like, and and contribute to the betterment of the community working at the polls one day a year yeah interesting okay um but they had a point about you know and it is true it's hard to get people to work at the polls when i was a kid it was pretty you know these old timers they worked they looked forward to every election work at the polls yeah that that day's over yeah okay (laughs) yeah um I think I also saw that you were advocating for preschool. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's an issue close to my heart. I was on the Head Start Board of Directors for several years, I think six or seven years. And I'm a thousand percent, a hundred thousand percent in support of early child education. It's so important. It's done so much good where it's happened. Head Start's done an enormously good job, and really on the ball, communities have early education programs. Yeah. But in the end, it's not, and I think that's a huge disappointment. And it's, and it's where we hurt ourselves by not doing by not doing that. Right. Preschool is an issue close to my heart. I think that's a great concept, and we ought to do it. And I was, as I, like I said before, I was on the Head Start Board of Directors here in Indianapolis for several years, and I, I saw the good they do, and I was, I was their number one cheerleader. Yeah. So what, what was the situation then at the time? Was it just like, was there no preschool that was being offered or something for? Uh... Uh, some, but in private setting, and in, in more suburban districts than inner city districts. Okay, right. So the kids who need it the most got it the least. Yeah, okay. Sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. Also, uh, you were a part of the legislative walkout um, for right-to-work legislation. Do you remember that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I don't know if we, we did any good, but we called it attention <laughs> to the public. I think we stopped it that year, the next year it passed. Okay. Yeah. So, so it was a short-term victory. I, I had mixed feelings about it. Uh, in fact, some people I really respect were upset with me because I wasn't doing my job, and I and I took their word. I mean, I respected them a lot, and so what they when they said it, it meant something to me. So I, I really had struggled with that question, you know. Yeah. But I, I did it, and we all did it, and so. Um, but but I. Not the best. In fact, that deal in Texas now, you know, they're leaving to stop the voting suppression bill. Yes, yeah, I heard about that. It's the same, yeah. same thing. When your back's against the wall, you do extreme things. Yeah. So, 
What exactly was the right to work legislation? Could you describe a little bit about it? I don't remember all that now. It, it weakened unions, and, and it, I don't remember all the details now. To be honest, but I think it. I think in most in most places you have to pay union dues if, if a union is representing you and helping you get you know better conditions and wages and so on. But this weakened that a lot, and it favored the corporations over the over the unions. Uh, okay. Interesting. Um, when did you leave? Yeah, we all walked out. I, I was, I called Mary. I said, you won't believe this, Mary. I'm an Illinois. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's wild, yeah. I think that tested her a lot. That she, she, she busted her heart. She hung in there, but I, I feel bad about it. Yeah. I said, you don't believe, you, I'm over Illinois. I'm in Champaign, Illinois. <laughs> Yeah, that is. Some town in Illinois. That is I a. Where it was? Been so long ago. Yeah. Yeah, pretty. Yeah, we held out for a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, but uh, 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 there ought to be a better way to do it. But I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Right. Sure. Um, I had mixed feelings about it, to be, to be sure. And some people, like I said, that I really respect gave me a lot of criticism about that, and I took that to heart. Yeah. So it wasn't an easy thing. Yeah, yeah, I understand. When did you leave the Indiana General Assembly and why? Uh, I, my last election was 2010, and I retired in 2012. Yeah, okay. Uh, I thought my time was up. I'd been there 38 years. I'm sorry, 36 years, and it was time for someone else to have a chance to, to, to serve that district. Yeah, that's a long time, yeah. How would you summarize your time as a state legislator? I really enjoyed it. Overall, it was a real, real plus. And it's an honor to be, to be elected to serve your community. It says people trust you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That meant a lot to me. What is your favorite story from your time as a legislator? Oh, gosh. I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot of them. The major bills that I worked on that got through, that gave me great satisfaction. Yeah. Okay. What lessons did you learn from your experiences? Uh, I think it increased my people, working with people skills. Uh, uh, um, it taught me not to give up uh, after the first go round to be persistent to keep working. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any regrets from your time as a legislator? Oh, I'm sure I could have done better on this or that bill, but overall, not many regrets. No. Okay. Not that I was perfect, but overall, I think it was satisfactory. Yeah. What advice would you give to future legislators or even current legislators? Oh, to keep your word and try to work with other people. Yeah, okay. Last few questions here. Uh, 
how has the state of Indiana changed over the course of your lifetime? Hopefully it's better. <laughs> Hopefully, okay. Um, uh, I think it is better. I think there are more opportunities now. Yeah. Like the, like the 21st century scholarship program is one of the best things Evan Bay ever did. Uh, let kids go to college, uh, help them get the opportunity to go to college when they otherwise wouldn't have a chance to go. The state would sort of be the financial backer for kids under certain conditions. It's called the 21st Century Scholarship Program. Now that that would have been great when I was a kid, but, but it's really helped a lot of kids go to college, and that's really good. So I think there are more opportunities now. Yeah. How has the... 21st Century Scholars was a really good program. It's still going on today. Oh, okay. Wow. How has the General Assembly changed? Gosh, I don't know. I've been there for a long time. Yeah, it's been a few years. Some That's people, you know, they get out, they come back to visit a lot. I, I thought, once you're out, you're out. And I haven't been back. Okay, sure. How do you think uh, politics has changed in Indiana? I, I think, sad to say, it somewhat reflects the national uh, picture. More partisan, more strident, less cooperation. Yeah. And that's not good for the country. Yeah. That's not good for anybody. Why do you think... So I, I wish there was more civility, more trust, more cooperation. Because we're working for the public, not, not our party or not our... Our own self-interest, we're supposed to be working for the public good. And I think that's been lost sight of sometime. Yeah, okay. And why do you think it has become this way? I wish I knew. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think it's a national problem, not just Indiana. Okay. You think it's just kind of spreading from the national level down, kind of? I don't know. That's a good question. I think it, it maybe goes both ways. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. But you know, when, like when Reagan and O'Neill used to get together, they would argue all day long and go to dinner together. Right. That didn't happen today. Yeah. Yeah. True. So I, 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 I used to tell a story when the ERA passed, I had lunch with three Republicans, and they all voted against it, and I voted for it. <laughs> For it. Yeah, that that would seem kind of surprising, I think, to a lot of people today. Yeah. 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 Well, is there? I think there's a lot of cynicism, you know, in the sixties, the assassination of, of King and, and the two Kennedys. Yeah. And and the the, the war went so bad, and, and people were lied to. Uh, and I think there's a lot of cynicism today, which is sort of sad. There are these polls that show, do you trust government to do the right thing? And back in Roosevelt's time, it was like 80%. Now it's probably 10%. Yeah, that's true. There seems to definitely be a decline in trust. Yeah, and I think it's because of all these letdowns and, and people not being told the truth. Yeah. And both parties have been guilty of that. Nixon lied and Lyndon Johnson lied, both about the war. Right. Um, what qualities do you think 
Hoosiers have and still hold dear? Uh, I think a sense of fairness. Uh, and, and trying to be helpful when you can. Yeah, that makes sense. What do you want the people of Indiana to know about their role when it comes to the function of state government? To make their officials accountable. To know the records of the people you're voting for. And it's all about accountability. And, and the more we're held accountable, the better we are. Yeah. The better the public is. So I think the key word is accountability. Yeah, okay. So they need a play, I guess. Knowing their records, knowing what they promised to do, what they did do, what they couldn't do if they're no fault of their own. Uh, and, and like this walkout thing, I think that hurt our, our, our credibility with the public. Yeah, sure. But I think accountability is the big thing. Right, right. And I always thought I did a better job when people were watching me. Yeah, I suppose that probably yeah would make people think a little bit more about how they portray themselves. Yes, yes. And keeping their word. Yeah. All you really have is your word. If you lose that, you don't have anything. Right. Well, um, let's see. That's all the questions that I have. Is there anything that I didn't mention that you want to talk about? Gosh, you covered a lot more than I thought you would. Oh, okay, good. All right. Well, I'm I'm glad. <laughs> so yeah, I think you you, you asked plenty of good questions. I, I enjoyed the conversation. Perfect. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking part in this project. Okay, glad to do it. Right. Bye now. Bye bye.